I'm sure most of us have images clear in our mind because we have seen them so often lately of people being carried away on stretchers or carried into an ER because they've been wounded and they needed to be healed. Or we see uh, fathers taking their little children and, and carrying them out of dangerous situations and the children are, are just wrapping their arms around the neck of the parent that is uh, carrying him or her out. We have various kinds of images of people that are being carried away from this, that, or the other. And if you think about it, common to all of these is the very fact that unless someone carries, no one will be carried. <laughs> it doesn't take rocket science to figure that out, right? But that's true not also in the more metaphorical use of that term carry. If we say of someone that he or she carried that meeting or carried that event, or even of someone who carries him or herself well, there are so many ways we use that word. Someone may even carry the church, if you will. But in all of these cases, it is true the same thing, that unless someone carries, no one will get carried. That's what this story is all about in Luke chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, I'll encourage you to turn there, Luke chapter 5. While you're finding that, maybe I remind you, if you get to John, you're too far. If you're in Mark, you just need to move on a little bit, right? There we are. If you wonder who this person is on the platform, my name is Preben Vong. I'm the pastor here during the interim period. One day, verse 17 in chapter 5 of Luke. One day, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began asking themselves, who is this fellow? who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, 
get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. And everyone were amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. <clears throat> I don't know if there are many people at all who are sitting in church on a regular basis who have not heard this story a number of times. It is kind of imprinted uh, on our minds. Those of you who have grown up in church will have seen all kinds of, of children's Bibles with pictures where that was picture or posters in hallways of church and whatever where you see this picture. You can envision this as easy as any. Close your eyes, boom, here is the picture, right? Yes? We all know it. It is so imprinted on our minds. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you this morning about how that speaks to community. How that is about community and ministry, if you will. There's something very practical. In a lot of sermons, we, we talk about grander and greater things in terms of, of how we can speak about God, how we can speak about um, this, that, and the other that is important. Let me this morning just talk to you very practically. There are some practical lessons from this text that we should not miss. And one of the very first things we see, even at the very surface of this text, is that community-focused ministry understands togetherness, even the necessity of togetherness. <clears throat> When you read this text, it's almost impossible to miss the fact that there were four people carrying this person to Jesus. Can I begin by simply saying, it does happen every so often that one person, one person, testifies and give witness to another person. And that other person, because he sees the grace and the love of this other person, turns his or her life to Christ. I wish it had happened a lot more that one individual will find grace from God because of the testimony of one other individual. But that's not the pattern, is it? We have so wrapped ourselves in this Western lie that it's all about me and I can do it and I'm on my own. It's this lucky Luke kind of riding off on his own into the sunset, if you will. It happens. It happens. And I wish it happened even more often that the testimony of one speaks in such a way to one other that their lives are turned 
and changed and moved toward Christ. But how much more often is it not that things like that happen, that people are brought into a life-giving relationship with Christ because of the life and the witness of a whole group of people, all kinds of folks working together at different levels, at different times, and together this impact a person in such a way that they're chained from one direction to another. And this story, if anything, highlights for us how a group of people can work together for the good of someone else. The paralyzed man could not have been brought to Jesus by one other. Have you ever thought of that? He just could not. <clears throat> there was no way that they could have brought him to that place of salvation and healing. One would not have been able to carry and lift the mat. Two would not have been able to lower that mat down through the roof. If there had been three, it likely would have tilted and let the paralyzed man fall off the mat. It took four to bring that paralyzed person to the place of safety and salvation before Jesus. And friends, that is the way this story is explained, but I think there's more than just a, an explanation of how it happened in this here. There's likely also a practical principle to be learned. Just think about it. How many of us have not prayed for a person for years and years that we would like to see? We know their lives need to meet Jesus and we have prayed for them alone. Or how many of us do not have a family member that we know need to meet the life-giving and saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And maybe you need to grab a hold of your spouse, maybe your son, maybe your daughter, and together you pray for this other person. Some of us may even have children who have chosen to not walk in the ways of God. Where do you go? to find someone to help you carry that burden of prayer shoulder to shoulder with you as you lift that son or that daughter or that nephew or that niece to the throne of the Lord. It took four to carry this person to Christ. And that is true also if you broaden it up a little bit and think about church. I think I've said a hundred, maybe a thousand times to people, no one can follow Christ alone. No one can express who Christ is alone. We just don't, as individuals, have all the gifts. Together, this is how it works. 
And you see this move on like this in an enormously important way. That is why I've said even here also that church matters. This is an alternative community to the community around us. Think of an infant. How does an infant learn trust? If he's just with one person all the time, they will not know. But once they can run up and down the aisles of a loving place like this and meet people that are, that are young, that are middle-aged, that are old, all of them just loving and showing love, they learn to trust. We need that kind of alternative community. That's actually what it means when in Proverbs 22, verse 6, I'm sure you know that, teach the child the ways to walk and then they will never leave it. They grow up in a warm, loving, caring, embracing place. Let me talk to you about the necessity and the importance of understanding these four. Something happens when we work together. You know, think about it. Maybe even in your own life. Sunday school, youth group, the pastor, the preaching from the pulpit, the singing of the choir, the various organizations that are there pointing to Christ, the invitations from the homes. Oh, how we have forgotten the importance of the homes. All of this together, shoulder to shoulder, as we support one another in moving people who do not know Christ to a life-giving relationship with the Lord. You know what happens? It happens that there are people who may have heard the clear teaching of Paul and they have been convinced in their intellect, enlightened, if you will, in their minds, but they may not have been convicted in their soul. They've heard the warm, eloquent teaching of Apollos. And it may have warmed their heart. But it had not humiliated their pride. Or brought humility to their pride, I should say. Maybe they listened to Paul, to Peter and his raw and unrefined kind of language. And it forced them on their knees, convinced that they needed to turn and come to Jesus. But they wouldn't find the joy and the peace until that fourth apostle, John, spoke with his loving, empathetic voice and let him realize that it is with Jesus that life finds fulfillment. It took four people. Or may I say it was when the fourth person grabbed a hold of the mat that they were able to carry the paralyzed person to the roof and lower him down in front of Jesus. 
Can you imagine? I'm just thinking out loud here, friends. That's all I'm doing with you all right now. Just thinking out loud. Imagine if right here in Nacogdoches, we could find group after group after group after group of men and women who bound together in an eagerness and an excitement about bringing people to Jesus would think together, pray together, look together to see how we best can do this. Specific people. I mentioned specific people I prayed for and the fellowship among one another enables us to be Christ's hands and feet. Imagine, this thought just struck me. Imagine if it was not First Baptist Nacogdoches Jesus talked about when he said the workers, a few. Imagine that. Notice the four carriers, if you call them that here, the bearers, the lifters, Such lifters or carriers in God's kingdom must be people who are not shying away from difficulties. People willing to bring their full strength, everything they have to this. So that shoulder to shoulder, head to head, if you will, mind to mind, focus to focus, will carry on and hold out until the goal is reach. These workers must be strong because the burden can be heavy. They must be full of courage because their work can put their faith on trial. They must be full of prayer. If not, the Bible says their work is in vain and they must be full of faith and trust in the Lord. If not, their work will remain unusable. As Jesus even says right here, he saw their faith and said, your sins are forgiven. Hebrews 11, which we'll talk about tonight, and I hope to see all of you tonight, plus all those you invite. No laughing matter, just say. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. Without faith, it's impossible to have God's pleasure. The community-focused ministry plans together. It's just how it works. It's just an old kind of expression that says, where there's a will, there's a way. Yes, you know that expression. I'm not the oldest one in here. So you all know that. Some of you all know that. You know, the modern phraseology of that is just not right. You can do whatever you set your mind to. That's kind of the modern version of that. That's just not true. There's lots of things we can't do regardless of how much mind we put to it. That's confession time, yes? But where, it, where there is a will together, We'll find a way. That's how that works. 
And I think that is true on the spiritual level, certainly as much as it is on the secular level. These four were faced with a situation that had to be solved. And I want you to really pay attention and notice this here. They brought the paralyzed man to the house where Jesus was. It was so packed with people that they couldn't come in. They had brought him one step closer to Jesus. But if that's all they had done, it would almost have been better if they just had left him alone wherever he was before that. It would have changed zero in that man's life. What were they to do? They were standing in front of that door. There was no way they could get in. Now, I'm envisioning that they have planned it. They plan together. Maybe they sat around in their Bible group at home. Maybe their home group. Their friends they have invited over as they did regularly to pray and to talk about the Lord, read his scriptures. Maybe they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if that house is so packed that we can't get in? Should one of us just stand outside the door and keep screaming? Jesus, you gotta. Just one of us try to kind of just mosey his way in there in front of the crowd and just talk straight to Jesus and tell him, you gotta come out. Forget all these other folks. You gotta come out. And they thought, no, that's not gonna work. And one of them thought, what if we got to the roof? What if we crawl up on the roof? And remove all these roof tiles and just flat out lower him right down in front of Jesus. You could all, all, already hear someone else said, no, that's crazy. I, you know. And someone else said, that's a good idea. Who's going to bring the ladder? Oh, John, if you get the ladder over there, just bring it ahead of time. We don't have time. And Pete, don't forget the rope. This can work. We can get up from the outside and then get down. You see the situation, don't you? How amazing is this? The four had to clarify to themselves what they would do if they faced these obstacles. It mattered. It was urgent to them that their friend came in front of Jesus. I hope you don't take this personal. But you know how often is it that we are more interested in patting ourselves on the back. Say, well, we tried. Imagine if these four had done that. You know, we took him, we carried him to the house. It wasn't our fault that the house is full. You know, if God wanted to do something with him, he could have just come out. He should have known that we were out there anyway. We'd done what we could. How easy is it to think that way? 
but they didn't. And thank God for that. You see, community-focused ministry encourages creativity. Just really brief here, let me just point to this. It is absolute, we live in a time where everything is changing, and that certainly is true for First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches in these very days. But it's true all over. Things are changing with rapid speed, as we have mentioned even earlier Sundays. Who would ever heard of someone breaking down the roof to get someone to Jesus? I mean, there's no rule for that. You don't see any stories of that previously in the Gospels, or the Old Testament is not packed with stories on how to break down roofs. It's just not like in the book how to do that. And it's a good reminder that we often have things that stand in the way of bringing people all the way to Jesus. It's just how it is. And can I say it like this? When that's the case, according to this story, that needs to be broken down and moved out of the way. There's a creativity that comes with this kind of communal thinking about how to bring people to the Lord. They say love is inventive. We talk about the inventive powers of love. I'm not sure how that kind of expression came about. I'll imagine it's because you realize that when you're truly in love, you'd never been more creative in your life, yes? You find a way to find time for that loved one. If you're denying this, you're lying to me right now. I mean, I work with students. They are so jam-packed. They work full-time. They have full full schedules of studies every night. They're packed out. I asked them to do something. and said, Dr. Von, there is no way I have even a second left. I just don't have any time. Do you not understand? I'm at work full-time. I'm studying full-time every night, every weekend, all the time. I just work. And then they fall in love. And they find one, two, three, four. I don't know how many hours a week they all of a sudden find time for. Where was that before? Love is amazingly creative, isn't it? Just saying. One uh, little girl when I was pastoring overseas and now growing up and she became mother of a wonderful son who was just a boy when he was diagnosed with an untreatable cancer. They gave him every kind of treatment they knew how and nothing seemed to have any effect. What does she do? She gets on the internet. She's sitting over on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. 
She finds out there's some experimental stuff going on at MD Anderson in Houston. You never even heard that name before, right, of town. If she had, it would have been some kind of movie she'd seen. And she said, I got to get my son there. So she gets on the phone. She calls me. She says, where can I do that? What can I do to possibly find a way also financially in any way to get there? When I get there, how do I find a place? And before you know it, she has been working everywhere, applying for grant, doing this, doing that. Love has an amazing way of being creative. We found a church for her when she got there. All kinds of amazing things happened. And the treatment from what we know not that long ago, so we don't know the long-term effect still, seemed to work. I'm not mentioning that to say something about her. I mention that to say something about the inventive power of love. Amazing. Community-focused ministry just expands the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thing when you look at this right here. Jesus desired to heal everything that is paralyzed. Have you ever thought that it was possible For Jesus to have turned that paralyzed man away, that thought doesn't even occur to Jesus. Not in the slightest. You hear me? Now hold on. Be honest. I wonder how many of you who are sitting here this morning who are just a little bit upset on behalf of the landlord, who's going to pay for that roof? I mean, that's not nice. You just break down someone's roof. Someone comes to your house, just tear your house down. Be honest, right? Or someone just out of pure righteousness said, that ain't right. You know, Jesus should have told them to get him back up, come back down, stand by the door, wait till it's their turn. This is just not, they can't just come barging in like that. I don't have to explain any further. Amazing. Jesus will never do. He is always ready to receive however and whenever someone comes. It's an amazing thing. And the great thing about this is that at the touch of Jesus, sin is always healed and very often full healing is brought to people's lives. Quite amazing when we read about this. The greatest thing that happens here, of course, is the forgiveness of sin. As Jesus himself said, that's the root core, the root course. The first thing he mentions, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then follow the other thing. Jesus always grab a hold of the root of people's issues. That's true also. In your life. Root structure. Often need to change. 
Can I round this up? Just by saying a few words at the end about how this glorifies God. When these four brought this man to Jesus and he was healed, he got up, he grabbed his mat and he walked out of there and everyone were amazed. Imagine what that would, I can't even fathom that. What would that have done to the man himself who was on the stretcher? Every fiber, every muscle, every everything would have been just vibrating, first probably with healing and then with full excitement. Then imagine if he was a father and a husband, he's coming back to a family uh, that, that were maybe about to be burned out with the burden of, of having someone extra to care for like that. And joy was spreading like concentric circles in water. What about then friends of, of the family that suddenly saw John can be with us in a new way from now on? This is all going to change. And then if you move on and think about the synagogue and, and the group of believers around him, how God now spoke in such a way that new excitement and new joy happened everywhere they turned. You bring people to Christ. You see Christ's hand in their life and glorification of God kept expanding like concentric circles. This is an amazing thing if you think about it. These four people, they were just regular folks. They were not preachers. We don't hear any of them say a single word. In fact, all we know about them is that they know how to hold a rope. That's all we know about them. But how they used their gifting brought enormous glory to God. God doesn't need just preachers and ministers. He needs a lot of people who can hold a rope or whatever gifting he may have given you. How about that becoming you who are bringing that kind of glory to God? What is that modern way of saying that? Just saying. That's a new way of saying amen. Have you noticed that? Just saying. I'm still going to say amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us even practical things through this text. Directly usable ways of thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be someone who's committed to helping friends. May it be, Father, that you speak to us in ever more powerful ways about how we can grab one corner of that mat and help carry. Amen. Amen. You know, some of you, in fact, all of you need to respond to this. Every last one of us in here and even those who watch on TV later on. 
We need to respond. We need to respond in different ways. Some need to come down here and kneel. Some need to grab a friend or spouse, someone's hand, maybe, and come down and kneel. Some need to pray where they are, and some need to go home and pray this afternoon and say, Lord, how can I be one of those who grabs the corner of the mat? Maybe you're the one on the stretcher, one who needs to be lowered right down in front of Jesus. If that's so, come talk to us. We would love to present you right there to Jesus. However you need to respond, this is the time. Let's stand.